You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Hey, man. What's up? That video makes me want to go box somebody. You might, you know, somebody smaller than me, but box somebody, right? Um, yeah, that's an awesome video. But what's even more awesome is when I stand down here and uh, I hear everybody singing. Um, praises to Jesus, man, that is awesome because I think it gives us a little bit of a picture of what heaven uh, is going to be like when we're all standing around the throne of God and we're singing praises to him. I think that is so cool. And so and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you chose to worship with us um, and excited about what God's doing in our church and in the church, his church and in this community um, where he is changing lives and changing hearts. And it's so good to see it's such an awesome thing to be a part of. Um, we're excited too about this Wednesday. I, you've heard a lot about this. If you've been coming here for a little while, um, we have our Awaken um, worship service that's happening Wednesday at 6.30, and it will be at the Emma Kelly Theater downtown, and it's designed for teenagers. So if you know a teenager, a middle schooler, high schooler, who um, uh, you think, hey, this will be an awesome experience for them, I think it will be an awesome experience for every teenager, bring them. Load your car up. Bring them up there. Um, you can't come in, but they can. Drop them off. Come back and pick them up, and uh, don't leave us with them. We love teenagers not that much, so don't leave us with them, um, but we would love for you to, to, to invite, bring people, and uh, invite them to come worship with us. It'll be 6.30 in McKellar Theater. That's Wednesday night. It's going to be an awesome time, so um, we, we're just believing that God's going to do some incredible things through that as we've prayed and planned and gotten ready for this event. So I hope you'll be a part of that in some way. Um, today we're going to continue the series verses. We started it last week. The week before last, we kind of kicked it off, um, kind of getting ready for it. And we asked you, what's your response? And, and specifically, what's your response to the gospel? What's your response to what Jesus has done for us? Um, last week, we looked at Philippians 3 and we looked at, um, and the question was really, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Paul held up all of his religious accolades and trophies and said, listen, compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus, um, I consider all of my great achievements worth nothing. And so we really ask, do you know him? See, the thing that we want the most for people here in this church is not just to go through religious motions and go through religious activity, but to live from a relationship that they know Christ and that Christ is living in them and moving in them. And that's what we want for every single person. And we want that for ourselves. We want to be um, people who lead others to a life in Christ. And so we're going to continue looking at that today. Today we're going to flip back um, one book, actually, from Philippians to Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, as we kick this off. And, and this series verses is, is built around this premises of cultural Christianity versus authentic Christianity. Um, cultural faith versus authentic faith. What's it look like? Because in the South, everybody's a Christian, right? Everybody has um, gone to church. Everybody grew up with it. But, but the reality of it is, it's not about what we've done as far as growing up in church. It doesn't matter if our granddaddy grew up in church and our daddy grew up in church and then we grew up in church. What matters is, do I know Christ? Do I have faith in Jesus? Have I put my trust in him as my savior? And we're going to continue looking at this today through these verses. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, awesome. If not, it'll be on the screen. When you read the book of Ephesians, two things that I would like for you to keep in mind is this. One of them is that... 
Paul wants us to see, the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church, wants us to see the glory of Christ in comparison to everything else that the world could, would offer. He also wants us to see that the local church is the hope of the world because the glory of God um, has filled it by creating us and putting us together. And so it's really, one commentator I read said it's like the gospel to the church. It's the hope of the church in the world. So when you read that and you begin to see it in context, you begin to understand this. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Paul is really trying to get us to see the hope of what God has done for us. Okay. So keep that in mind as we read, as we go through this, I want to pray for us. Then we're going to jump in and we're going to see what these scriptures, this text has to say to us. God, thank you so much for this opportunity, a room filled with people who came to worship you. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray God that our hearts would be open, that, that God, your word would as seed would find good ground. And it would grow in our hearts today. God, if we know you, that that our our, our revelation of you and our understanding of you would grow. If we don't know you, that we would come to that place of hearing you call us by name to a relationship with you. God, we love you. I pray that every religious pretense that we walked in the door with would be stripped away. That we could simply encounter you and the beauty of your gospel and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've alluded to it a little bit. As you walked in, you may have seen some signs that said, but God, right? And then Matt talked about in, um, as he led worship, uh, where he would be if it weren't for God. You know, he was a sinner. He's still a sinner, but God stepped in and saved him. And so today, the, the, the key word I would like for you, or words I'd like for you to think about is, but God. And we all know that from our own life, experientially, that the word but has a lot of power, right? B-U-T-T, not B-U-T-T, right? B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, okay? So we're, we're talking about but, B-U-T, all right? It has a lot of power in our world. For example, you may not have thought about how much power it has, but think about how many times the word but changed the direction or course of your life, right? For example, we would love to offer you the job, but how many of you have experienced that, right? I did. I have. Yeah, been there, all right? Or um, or how about this? I plan to go to the gym, but see, everybody laughs at that one because you, you have all done that. And you've done this one too. I wouldn't eat that brownie. Isn't it not amazing how many excuses we can make to not go to the gym and how many excuses we can make to eat a brownie? Is that not fascinating, right? And we put that little word bud in there. It changes the course of everything. Guys, some of you have experienced this. I would love to go out with you, but, right? But I don't like you. That's the problem. Whatever, Whatever they said, you know, you're a creep. Whatever they said after that, that was just to, it's not me. It's not you, it's me, right? No, it was you all along. And so... We can say all that stuff, but the word but has this ability to change the course of our, our life. It can change the course of, of what we're going to do. It, it, it really, um, as a conjunction, right, it, it changes things. It links two thoughts together, but so many times they're different. And the Bible is no different. The Bible is full of where God steps in to change situations. You can begin in the, the very, very first book, the very first three chapters of the Bible, where Adam and Eve are there, they sin. God has put them in a perfect place. He created them perfectly. And then they sin, and what happens? They realize they're naked, right? And they realize they've sinned. They realize they've done a very bad thing. And it says that they were ashamed. They're in shame and guilt and condemnation. But God steps in and he kills this animal, this innocent animal, which was the first sacrifice in the Bible. You can trace that sacrifice all the way to the cross and see where God covers our sin with the blood of Jesus. 
And so he kills this animal, but God stepped in and covered their shame and their guilt with the blood of an innocent animal. You can go on through when you come to Moses, right? Moses was a murderer, right? We don't ever talk about that in Sunday school, but Moses murdered a guy, right? But God still used him to redeem his people, to redeem a nation. So Moses was a murderer, but God stepped in and used Moses to do great things. You think about Gideon, one of the judges, that Gideon was a coward. When the angel of the Lord finds him, he's in a wine press threshing wheat. You thresh wheat out on a hill so the wind can blow away the chaff and you collect the seed. Gideon's down in a hole threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. And the angel shows up and says, behold, mighty man of valor or mighty warrior. And see, God saw something in Gideon that Gideon couldn't see in himself. Gideon was a coward, but God made him a great warrior. He took 300 men and defeated the entire army of Midian. You go on to the New Testament and you begin to find that Peter denied Jesus three times, right? Denied him three, spent three years with him and still denied him three times. And but, but God stepped in and used Peter to build the church. A failure, but God used him to build his church. But God stepped in. You look at the apostle Paul, who we've talked a lot about the last few weeks, reading through his letters. And you realize that Paul was a murderer as well, that Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was a blasphemer of Jesus, but God met him, changed his heart and opened his eyes to see the reality of who Jesus is. And God used him to change the course of history. But God stepped in and did a miraculous thing in Paul's life. And from there, people's hearts and lives were changed because Paul became the greatest missionary and evangelist in the history of the world. But God is powerful, powerful, powerful words. As I read through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the thing that I really began to see in this is I don't think there is a as concise a section of scripture in the entire Bible that we can see this play out. That we, 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 we feel the, the despair of humanity and then within a few verses, Paul says, yes, this is the weight of our sin and the reality of our condemnation. And then he says, but God stepped in and we go all the way from the depth of despair to the height of hope in Christ in 10 verses. And today, this is my hope and this is my prayer, because see, we can't really appreciate what Jesus did for us until we really see what would have happened apart from him. Until we realize what we are apart from him, we can't appreciate exactly what God's done for us through him. And my prayer is today that we would experience that we would experience the despair that is, has inflicted all of humanity, but we'd also experience the hope that's in Christ. So when we leave here, we leave here worshiping God with all that we are, not because it's some cultural thing that we have to do, but because of what Jesus has done in our lives and for us. So that we don't go through religious motions, but we live from a great relationship with God. And as you look at these verses, I just want to walk us through verse by verse, so we can see this because it's absolutely powerful. Ephesians 2, 1 says this. It says, and you, all right, stop, right? I promise I won't stop after two words on every verse, right? But it says, and you. So who is Paul talking to? Well, he was talking to the Ephesians, right? He was talking to the people who would read this letter. But the reality of it is, Paul was also talking through the Holy Spirit to us. So he says, and you. So that just brought everybody into the room. And you, right? And you. And because here's what happens in cultural Christianity is we go and we hear a message. This is probably the number one thing I hear more than anything else. Is somebody will come up to me and they'll be like, preacher, that was a great message. 
I brought my friend and I was just praying that they were listening to it. Right? And so we think, man, this is a great message for my friend beside me. Or this is a great message for my buddy behind me. Or it's a great message for the guy I know who slipped into the back row who just texted me, right? And told me he was here. And so, man, I hope they're listening. But this is what Paul says. Paul says, I'm talking to you, right? Because everybody like, right, right here, right? Talking to you. And then I, and he's talking to me. And so Paul clarifies that really quickly. He says, and you were dead and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So he identifies who he's talking to, you. He's talking to us. He's talking to the people who would read this letter. And he says, you were dead, right? How many of us in here today would admit and could agree on the fact that physical death is a serious thing, right? Pretty serious thing, right? And, and, and Here's what Paul's trying to get us to see is that when we were separated from God because of our sin and because of our trespasses against him, spiritually we died because we were separated from the life giver. So if we're apart from Christ and we're apart from life, we can't experience life. See, I've never seen anybody walk into a funeral home when someone had died and walk in with a tube of like triple antibiotic cream and be like, don't worry guys, I got this. Let's just rub this on them and pretty soon they'll get well. No, dead is final. Dead is dead, right? You don't rub cream on it and make it better. You don't do something superficial and think it's going to change what's going on on the inside. But the church has been doing this for years. We prescribe another program. We prescribe read your Bible more. We prescribe why don't you pray more. We prescribe, you know, you need to repent. We prescribe all of these things. But have we left out the most important thing? Do you know Jesus? Because we do all this superficial stuff, but if it never penetrates into our heart, which only the power of the Holy Spirit can do, if it never comes at the, to the core of the issue, which is the fact that I am dead apart from God, I can do nothing until Christ calls my name and I say yes to the gift of life that he offers. Otherwise, I am dead. Nothing superficial can fix it. My church attendance can't fix it if I'm just attending, but I don't know the one that I came for. Did that make sense? Because y'all looking at me real funny. <laughs> Do I know him? Has he brought me to life? Because Paul says, you are dead. I am dead apart from him. He says, and the reason you're dead is because of the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, that you were in. See, here's one thing I would like to clarify. Paul's really writing this to people who claim to be believers in Jesus, Right? So he's saying you once, you were once dead, right? You once walked this way. But what we need to understand is if we don't know Christ, if we're not in a relationship with Jesus, the reality of it is we're still dead. If we don't know him. And so Paul says you were dead or you are dead because of the trespasses and the sins that you once walked in. Now think about that. What is a trespass? God uses this word trespass. Paul writes this word trespass. You think about a trespass as breaking a boundary, right? So here's the reality. We've all broken boundaries that God's laid out for us. Every one of us. The other day I went to a hunting club that I'm not familiar with and I have a bad um, habit of getting lost, right? And so I was going into this hunting club and they said, this is what you do. Just walk right on in there and when you get to the dirt road, just keep on going. If anybody ever tells you that, just 
So I know, how about, is there something on this side of the dirt road, right? And so I did that. I walked across, I get in there, I get turned around. I don't know where I am. I come back to a dirt road that I cross over and I'm thinking, okay, I'm headed back to my truck, right? No, I was just walking in circles. And finally I come out on another dirt road. See, there's three dirt roads. Nobody told me about three dirt roads. And so I come out on another dirt road and these guys are looking at me like, what's that idiot doing, right? And I'm like, I'm going to my truck. They're like, boy, your truck ain't around here. I'm like, all right, well, I'm lost. Can you help me? I'm the idiot, right? But I, I had not only gotten lost, but I had trespassed on somebody's, I ended up on somebody else's land. And so I'm just wandering around. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, you know, I didn't even know. And see, some of us, we've broken boundaries without even really acknowledging it, without knowing it, that God put these boundaries in place and we somehow committed this sin of omission and we just broke these boundaries and every one of us have done it. But there's also the sin of commission, which we've all done too, right? We've all known this is not right. This goes against what God would have for me. I know God's way is best. I'm just going to do it anyway. We've all done it. Amen. Yeah. I love, one of the things I love about my oldest son is if he's going to do something wrong, he doesn't try to hide it. He just does it. So the other day he comes home from school. He says, dad, he said, I got in trouble today. I was like. All right, that's kind of normal. Um, but what happened, buddy? And he goes, man, I was reading in class. I said, you got in trouble for reading in class? He said, yes, sir. I said, man, when I was in school, if I was reading in class, my teachers would have thrown a party. I hated to read. And I, he said, but I was the only one that got in trouble. Parents, you've all heard that, right? I don't know why they got on. I said, well, what were you doing? He said, I was reading. I said, well, what was everybody else doing? He said, they were reading. I said, well, why did you get in trouble? He said, because I had my book on the desk. They had theirs under the desk. And I was like, well, at least you were honest, right? But he knew he wasn't supposed to be reading. Everybody else is hiding it. He's just like, here I am. <laughs> like, son, we got to teach you to sin, you know, <laughs> and not get caught, right? <laughs> no, that's a bad parent. <laughs> but, but it's honest. And, and so here's at least a good thing about the sins of commission is that we just do them. We know they're not right. And we've all done it. We know we've all broken boundaries that God's put in place. And we broke them anyway. And so Paul says you're dead one because of your trespasses, which makes us a rebel. It makes us rebellious, not the rebel that culture is painted as being good. He's saying you have rebelled against my authority and against who I am, basically saying you do not want me, that you do not want me to be your God. And then we come to the word sins. He says you're dead in trespasses and sins. Sins is a word that means, it was an archery term. It literally means to miss the mark. It was as if I fired an arrow at Justin running the camera and I missed, right? My arrow would not have fulfilled its purpose. I would not actually shoot Justin. I would just scare him. And so... But if I shot the arrow and it missed the mark, that's what Paul's saying is you've broken boundaries, both unintentionally and intentionally, and you've sinned, you've missed the mark. You haven't fulfilled your purpose in which God created you. And so this is basically what Paul's telling us is that if you're in Christ, you used to be a rebel, a rebellious failure, basically is what Paul's saying. I told you this takes us sort of to this place of despair. And he's saying, if you don't know Christ, then you're still a rebellious failure. Praise God, thank Jesus, let's go home, right? We're rebellious failures. But this is what Paul's saying, and he's saying it to each one of us. And he says on in there, he says that you're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
And the word for walk, man, when, you, when you're thinking about this in Jewish writing and, and you're thinking about it in biblical writing, typically when they say that you walk, they're meaning not like you went out on a stroll, dead in trespasses and sins. They're saying you lived this life that was, that was about a pattern, about a certain way that you lived. It was the whole of your life was dead in trespasses and sin because you were separated from the life giver. And he goes on and says, following the course of this world. In other words, you've been following culture. You've just been doing what this world says is right. He's saying you've been worshiping the same idols as everybody else. This was who you were. He says, following the prince of the power of the air. That's another word, way for him to say Satan. In other words, you're not following after Jesus and the new humanity he's trying to create. You're following after the world. You're not following after God and and pursuing him. You're going after Satan. And he's saying Satan was your father who you were obedient to. And this was the pattern of your life. He says this is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So so these people, people still living this way. He's comparing and contrasting pre-Christ with after Christ. He's saying, this is what you were when you weren't in Christ. Rebellious failures who were sons of disobedience. And he goes on in verse three. And this is what he tells us here. He says, among whom we all, so he brings us all back into this, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And he says this, and we're by nature children of wrath. And we're by nature children of wrath. What does he mean? He means that before Christ, that we were destined to experience the wrath of God upon sin and upon evil. But this is where our Southern Christianity, cultural Christianity mindset begins to kick in and go, that's not fair. I'm not that bad. And we begin to think that way, but it's because we compare our badness to the badness around us And we don't compare our badness to God's goodness because God is infinitely good and great. And when I look at me in comparison to God, I realize that the best I have to offer is still evil before him. And so our mind rejects this concept of wrath. But let me ask you this question. Would you want a God who is okay with evil? He's like, that's just a little evil. Who cares? No. In fact, instead of looking at God's wrath and the fact that God does um, have to judge evil and sin and thinking that it is unfair, it should bring us to worship because God is a God of justice who will judge all evil. And so we see this, that before Christ, we were children of wrath, destined to experience the wrath of God because in his justice, he has to judge sin. He has to punish sin. So we feel this weight that we were dead, rebellious, failures, sons of disobedience who were destined only to be destroyed. Nothing good that impressed God about us. And then we get to verse four. Thank God for verse four, right? And this is what verse four says. It says, but God, there's those words again, but God. He says, in light of verses one through three, he says, but God being rich in mercy 
Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a huge thing that Paul says, listen, before Christ, there was nothing becoming about you. There was nothing attractive about you in God. There was nothing that God looked at and just thought, man, they have such great attributes and such great character and such great integrity. I really need them. No, it was just because God loved us. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, and because of God's great love, when we were dead and we were doomed, but God stepped in and gave us mercy. Mercy is when God gives us kindness that we don't deserve. So God, instead of bringing his wrath upon us, he gives us Jesus and gives us what we don't deserve, which is grace. He didn't give us what we do deserve, which is his wrath. He gave us what we don't deserve, which is grace and his unmerited favor, his unmerited love. And so God looked into your situation, and I hope you can get this because it'll change your life. God looked into your situation that was hopeless, full of despair, full of hardness, full of coldness, full of death, full of anger, full of addiction, full of all these things. And he says, but God loves you. I'm going to step in and I'm going to save you. And so God saw you dying, but God stepped in. See, when, when God saw you in the pornography addiction, but God stepped in. When God saw you addicted to alcohol, but God stepped in. See, but God stepped in to your sexual immorality. But God stepped in to the bad decisions you've made with your family. But God stepped in to your homosexuality. But God stepped in to your racism. But God stepped in to anything else that you want to fill in the blank. Because the glory and the praise of Jesus is that there was no sin, there is no sin, that he has not bridged the gap between us and our Father. And but God stepped in to save us when we were dead had no life, nothing that we could offer God, God stepped in. What an awesome God we serve. He stepped in and gave us mercy. He gave us what we didn't deserve, his kindness. He stepped in because of his love. And here's the thing we could ask the question, like, why did God do it? Well, he loves me. Why why does he love me? Loves me. I, I don't know why he loves me. I don't know. I just know that he does. For the Bible tells me so, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? If we could just grab hold of that, it would change our lives. That God loves me. Because he loves me, he sent his son, God, rich in mercy, full of great love, stepped in and gave me his grace, his unmerited favor and love when I didn't deserve it, when I had nothing to offer him. He gave me. His love, his grace, and his mercy. And now he's raised me up to life, given me a new heart in Christ, and has seated me in heavenly places with Jesus, giving me a taste of heaven here on earth. What a great and glorious God 
Verse 7, he tells us a little bit more about why he did this. One, he did this because he loves us. But in verse 7, he says, so that in the coming ages, he might show, meaning God, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So one, he loves us. Two, he wanted us to become his trophies of grace. What a transformation. What a transition that we see happen in these verses. We go from rebellious, disobedient failures who were dead to people who God says for all of eternity, I'm going to use you to demonstrate to all of creation my immeasurable grace. You will become my trophy of grace. What a huge transformation, right? That he takes us from dead, disobedient to trophies of grace. That people would look at our lives, my life, for eternity. And realize how good God is because of the grace he poured out upon me through his son, Jesus. He goes on in verse 8. He says, for by grace, he tells us why God did it. For because he loves us. And he also tells us he did it as, to make us trophies of his grace and his goodness. And then in verse 8, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. He's beginning to tell us how he did it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. In other words, he's saying, this is how I did it. I gave you grace. He's even saying, I gave you faith to believe. You were dead. You could do nothing, but I called you by name. I awakened you to my love. I awakened you to my presence. I called you to a better life. I called you to a new way of walking. I called you to something better than what you could produce on your own. He says, and I did it by grace. He says, this is the gift of God. This faith is a gift of God. It's not your own doing. Your works couldn't do it. And he says, but the big gift is the gift of salvation. See, wrapped up in this huge, big box with a big bow on it that God gave us is not just the gift to believe, but this whole gift of salvation is what Paul's trying to get us to see. Is when we didn't deserve it, God did it for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that shows us God's love for us. And this big box, this big gift God gives us, this huge gift of salvation. He goes on, um, he says it's not a result of work so that no one may boast. This is probably where I see us get it wrong the most, is that we typically think that if I do enough good stuff, I can come to a place of pleasing God. But Paul says this is all a gift. You can't earn it. All you can do is receive it. And when someone gives you a gift, who gets the praise, right? The gift giver. And my mom and dad gave me a huge big screen TV one year for Christmas. I wasn't praising me. I was praising them. I can't believe it, man. This is awesome. You know? Had that baby on the wall the next day. But the gift giver is the one who receives the praise. God did it all. He gave the gift. We just receive it. And in this, he receives the praise. When people look at us and, 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 and for eternity, they're not going to be praising us because of what God's given us. They're going to be praising the giver for having saved us. Verse 10 is the best one. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it, it just brings us to this awesome climax of grace and hope in Christ. 
Verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says, for we are his workmanship, remember? Not that we can boast about anything we did. It's all about about God coming in and making us his masterpiece, right? Which is really what this word means. It's a word in Greek. It's the word that we get the word poem from. In other words, what Paul is saying is that God is shaping you and creating you. Now, see, here's where we live. We want the project to be finished, right? This made me perfect, get it done. But God's still painting God's still writing. He's still doing things in us if we are believers in Christ. But regardless of how far we are in the process, this is what God says. He says, you are my masterpiece that I've created in Christ Jesus. You are my painting in which people can look and see the work of my hands. It's all creation language where he says workmanship and he says created. He's saying, basically, I took your broken life and I rebuilt it. I recreated it. I gave you a new heart, a new way of walking and living. And I put you on display for everyone to see. And see, here's the heart that we can't see ourselves that way. And that's mostly the reason that we can't live that way. But God says, "You're you're my workmanship. You're my masterpiece. If you've, if you've come to Christ, you are his poem to the world. You are his painting to the world to display his grace. Can you see yourself in Christ? Can you see the work that God's done? God has changed us in such an incredible way. At the core of our being, yeah, we're still working it out. But here's the lie of our culture that you can work it in. No. God has to do a work in us so he can do a work through us. He doesn't do a work through us so he can do a work in us. We don't do these works that we were created to do so that God will love us. We do those works that God created us to do because he does love us. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. But so many people in church are are, are burnt out, worn out, and tired because we're still working to try to please God. But the Bible is very clear that it is impossible to please God apart from faith. Why? Because there's nothing pleasing about us. It's all in Christ. But when we're in him, he begins to work Jesus out of us. It's a huge transition. There's only one way that it flows, God in us to the world. It can't be our works in us to the world or to God. God has to work in us. This is what he's saying through Christ. He took the dead, rebellious, failures, sons of disobedience, and he put life within us so that we could know him, so we could live in him, so that we could experience his mercy, his love, and his grace. And at the end of it all, we would become trophies of his grace that are on display for the whole world. The church, this whole body, and those who are worshiping in other places would display the greatness of his grace to the world. Trophies of grace. Amazing that God would do this. And he says, these are the things that God prepared beforehand. He says that we should walk in them. Is it not funny? God, or Paul, God through Paul starts this section of scripture, verse 1. And two and three, and he says, this is how you once walked. We get to the end and he says, you were created as a masterpiece to do good works. God prepared them beforehand 
that you should walk in them. What's Paul telling us? He's saying before Christ, you were dead and you had no choice but to follow after the pattern of this world and the, 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 the devil and to do all this stuff, right? But now you've been given a new pattern of life through Christ. You've been given a new heart that you can follow him, that you can seek him, that you can truly experience life. That you can do good things. But it all comes from God working in us. It's a new way of living, a new pattern of living, a new way of thinking. As we grow in Christ, he changes our mind, he changes our walk, he changes the direction of our life. That's the good news of Jesus. Not only does he give us righteousness through faith in Christ, but he begins to work that righteousness out of us as we grow into those trophies that God has made us to be. See, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to be in Christ because on one hand, you're a created perfect masterpiece in Christ. And on the other hand, you're still being painted. You're still being written. God's still doing work. And as he works in us, he works through us. And today when you came in, you got a, a card attached to your announcement card. And it's, it's about being a connector, right? It's about serving. It's about an opportunity for you to do the good works of Christ. And this is what I would tell you. If this is your church and, and you claim everybody in this room should fill that out if this is your church. If you're a college student and this is where you go to church when you're in time, you should try to make a difference in people's lives while you're here. You should fill out that card. But the only reason you should fill out that card is because your heart's set on fire for Jesus, not because you feel guilty and feel like you should have to serve. We don't work to remove our guilt. Our guilt was removed in Christ when God poured out his wrath on him as he took our sin upon himself. We don't guilt you into doing anything. We give you opportunity to portray yourself as a trophy of grace to people every Sunday when they walk in this building. We can be trophies of his grace doing good works at the ballpark. We can be trophies of his grace doing good works wherever we are. But this letter, as I told you, is so much about the glory of the church. And we have an opportunity, church, to change the world because of the power of God in us and the grace of God at work in us. And I do not want us to miss that opportunity. So I pray that if you're not, if you're not plugged in, People say, well, it's just such a big church. I don't know how to get to know anybody. That's how. That and the connect group. But don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it. That's not what we want for you. We can find guilt and shame and condemnation anywhere. We want you to find the life of Christ. God created us, recreated us in good work, for good works. He created us a masterpiece in Christ. That's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of the gospel. He took dead sons of disobedience who were rebellious failures and he gave us life in him and made us trophies of his grace simply because he loves us. I'm asking you to bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I, I do thank you for this time and I pray that your spirit would speak to the hearts of people here. God, I pray that people who've been in bondage to just some cultural mentality or cultural habit, um, God, but don't know you, I pray that today they would sense you knocking on the door of their heart and God, that they would sense you calling them by name and that they would simply receive the gift of salvation that you've given us, a relationship with you, not rules and works to try and achieve your love, but simply receiving the love that changes our hearts and changes the pattern 
of our life and the way we walk. Right now, I want to just ask you to take just a couple of seconds and I want you to just, just ask God, what are you showing me today? What's the Lord speaking to your heart this morning? question is and I want to ask you all to be praying just bow your heads pray we don't usually do things this way but this is what's been on my heart all morning as you're praying you realize I, I do not have a relationship with Christ I don't know if you grew up in church or you've been de-churched unchurched whatever the case has been but you realize this morning I don't know him I'm not walking in the life of Jesus and I want a relationship with God through him. I want the power of the spirit of God to give me a new heart, not make all my circumstances perfect, but to give me a new heart and to begin to put a new pattern of living in my life. But you say today that you don't know him, Brandon, I don't know him, but I know he's calling me. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you right now, very high in the air, I want you to stick your hand up and say, today, I need to know him. I need a relationship with Christ today. I'm asking you right now, stick your hand up. There's a couple. Amen. Keep them up. 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 You don't know Christ, and today you know he's calling you. This is what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to be obedient, be bold while everybody's praying. You raised your hand just now. I'm going to ask you if you would, just step out of your aisle. I'm going to ask you to walk to my left, your right. Over here, I got Mr. John in a red shirt, Kate in a green shirt. There's other prayer people. We just want to pray with you and welcome you into the kingdom. While everybody's praying, I'm asking you to move. I'm asking you just to take your first step of obedience to Christ. Just get up and move. Be very bold. Be courageous. If somebody next to you raised their hand, you, you offer to walk with them. I don't care if you know them or not. You just get them and you just walk with them and you go. We can help you take your next step. Everybody's praying. Everybody's praying. You be praying that people will be bold to move and to go and to take this next step of faith that they know they need to move and hearts are beating 100 miles an hour. And some of you know all you've ever had is this cultural Christianity. But today you know I need a relationship with the living God. And you would say I need to get up and I need to take that step. Then you get up and move and you get up and go. Prayer people, you start moving. There's people moving everywhere. You go. You go with them. But you know I don't know him say today, I'm just tired of playing the games. I need Christ. If while I'm talking, you know that you should have moved and you want to move, you keep moving. But as we're praying, I want to ask one more question that you're here today. And and maybe you started out well, you started out in the spirit, you started moving um, in the gospel trusting in Christ, but somehow your eyes got taken off of Jesus and you came into this place where now it's just about reading your Bible to check it off a list. It's not about hearing God. It's about praying just to hopefully um, put a lucky rabbit's foot in your back pocket. It's not about communicating with Jesus. It's about all these other things. Other, It's just about church attendance, but your heart's not on fire for God. You might just describe it as I've just grown stale or I've just grown cold or I've just grown warm. This is what I would like to ask today. If that's you, then I want you to do this for me. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet 
and an act of faith and a tangible representation of you saying, God, set my heart on fire for you and for those you love and those you want to reach. Let me be a part of what you're doing. I'm going to ask you if you would stand to your feet right now. If that describes you, your faith's grown cold. Maybe it's weak. Maybe you're just needing faith for something, but you would stand up and say, yeah, I need God. God's speaking to my heart right now, and I'm going to take a step of faith to do that. Will you stand right now? God set my heart on fire. God set my heart on fire. People are standing. You stand too. If that's you and you know it, don't stay in your seat. God's calling you. Answer. What's your response? What is your response today? No shame in this, man. Listen, we all, every I'll be straight honest with you. Everybody in the room should be standing right now. Don't stand because I say that. But we all need Christ, right? We all need him. We all need him. Paul said in light of as much as he knew him, all he wanted to do is know him more. I want to pray for you, for those standing and those who are seated. God, I thank you for those who have courage to stand. And listen, if while I'm praying, you want prayer today, we can pray for you. You just start moving to the doors. We got plenty of prayer people. We'd love to pray with you and help you take your next step. You just start moving to the doors. You just go and and we'll pray with you. If you feel led to do that today, you respond how God's leading. God, thank you for them. Thank you for their hearts for you. Thank you for their lives in you, God. I thank you that your word is powerful, that it speaks to us because it's enlivened with the Holy Spirit. I pray over each person here today, God, that they would be courageous in how they respond to you, that they would um, set their eyes firmly on you God, that they would cry out to you because God I know when we cry out to you you hear our cries and you respond and I ask you Lord that in their situation in their circumstance they would feel your presence they would be strengthened and enlivened in you and that as they leave here today God they would go with the confidence of the children of God knowing that they have a heavenly father who loves them perfectly Spirit, speak to our hearts, not just here, but as we leave this building. And let us be a trophy of your grace, Jesus, to this world and this community. Give us strength and peace and confidence and courage to follow you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.